You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. You know, I was thinking about it, um, looking back, do you remember your first, like, breakup? Like the, the first relationship that, that, that ended for you. Maybe it was like back in like sixth or seventh grade. You know, you're hanging out at the skating rink and she just broke your heart. What you're like, if you look back on your first breakup and you're like, oh, it wasn't that bad, you probably crushed somebody's heart, okay? Let's be honest. And, and you just, you went through the whole roller coaster of all the feels and then every song that came on the radio was like the song. Like Tony Braxton, Unbreak My Heart came on. You're like, oh, Yes. We don't understand what sixth grade love was at that moment, but you're just like, yes, I feel this. Unbreak it. Uh, Boys to Men came on if you grew up in the 90s, right? I mean, that's just every emotion went through that. Uh, oh, Whitney Houston. Like, that was another soundtrack. I will always love you. It's like, yes, for all of middle school, I will love you. Um, Cindy Lauper, for those like a little bit further back, time after time, right? It's like, just, I can't. Oh, or a total eclipse of the heart, maybe. Um, or I want to know what love is. Foreigner, that's a throwback. Soft rock just has that ability to, uh, to take you back, right? But like in those moments of, of that first breakup or that first relationship, you just were like, you're devastated. You're like, how is life going to go on? I'm sure that this pain that I feel right now is never going to get better. Like this, this in sixth grade has got to be the depth of human depravity, right? Like, this is, the, this is what a heartbreak feels like. And then a month later, or looking back, you're like, wow, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I'm so glad that relationship ended. You know, we just, we, we have this, uh, sometimes we, we put blinders on, and, and pain has this ability uh, to make us just focus on the here and now, to say, it, it can't get something outside of this. Like, this is, this is it. This is the moment. This is where it is absolute worst. But if we're being honest and real this morning, like, what about real pain? Like, what, what about real stuff that happens in life? I, I know we can, we can look back on moments and say, yeah, I, I, had, I have hope now, but how do we, in the midst of pain, not like fifth grade breakup pain, but, but in the midst of living in a broken world, the full extent of feeling all of it, of betrayal, of death, of, of heartbreak, of destruction, the, the full force of the curse on this earth that we live on. Like, what, how do we have hope in the midst of pain? How do we do that? Deep pain. Uh, our verse we've been looking at through this series is found in Isaiah 9, a very well-known passage. Isaiah 9, verse 6 says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make that happen. Now what's interesting is we, we've been kind of unpacking some of these and talking about this idea of eternal father you're like, immediately, I, I'm, 
we get kind of confused by this because we're like, well, it's talking about Jesus. So what is Isaiah talking about in this? Is he confusing like God the Son and God the Father? Is he calling Jesus the Father? Like that's kind of weird, right? It's the Trinity. But, but Isaiah's uh, perspective in this isn't in the, in the kind of thought of the theology of the Trinity in this moment. He, he's saying that, that the, the heart of a father, that we get to see that in Jesus. Remember, Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him that we get to see the display of fatherly love, of a father's affection, of a father's care through the life of Jesus. And we see this also, there's this, there's this custom in a Hebrew and an Aramaic um, that somebody who possesses something is called the father of it. So some translations say he's the everlasting, meaning that Jesus is the possessor of eternity everlasting father, that he is the possessor, he's the father, the owner of everything eternal, right? So we get to like lift our eyes up into this bigger view. I mean, John 1, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? We have this knowledge of, of Jesus in the very beginning, that in the beginning was the word, right? Jesus was the word and everything was created through him. So we understand this idea of before anything existed, God was and Jesus was. And this idea of eternal father um, realigns our, our hearts with that truth. But here's something that I've learned in my life that I've, I've witnessed in other people's life is the basis for this morning is, is that true hope doesn't just deliver us around, but delivers us through. True hope is not something that just gets us to go around pain, that gets us just to go around circumstances. I mean, the majority of our prayers are like, Lord, rescue me from this, deliver me from this, help me to go around this. I don't want to go through it. Um, and it's not a, a cop-out prayer on the other side. It's not, okay, God, even in the midst of this. It's this idea that we can walk through hard things and still maintain hope that we can walk through hard things and we can walk through pain and still know that we have a good God. And, and hope is not just based on our circumstances and the ability to go around the hard stuff. Hope is actually the ability to walk straight through it. Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, there's pain. But God is in the midst of it and God is with us. I mean, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Not like, hey, I took a shortcut around the valley, or I looked down on the valley from the mountaintop where it was easy. No, that the Lord is, is with us in the midst of it. Um, because those are things that build character. Like, God, God doesn't help us build our avoidance by delivering us from hard things, but God helps to build our endurance and our character by allowing us to walk through hard things, but maintaining a posture of hope and of faith and believing that God can work all things for our good, right? So sometimes he allows us to walk through hard things so that we can see that he can move mountains, but also that he can light up the darkest valley because that's what builds character and grit and trust in him, right? So in, in, in every, birth, in every birth story, right, the, the painful thing is for the father, right? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Somebody, no, we'll get that later. Um, but I, I want us actually to, to look at the account of Joseph um, in the Christmas story in the, 
and the birth of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we're going to start in verse 18, but uh, there's this glimpse of this moment of, of pain. Now, not, the, not the birthing pain, but the, the pain that, that Joseph experienced. Um, and as we glean from this on how we can maintain a posture of hope, believing and trusting the Lord through life's circumstances. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Last week we talked about Mary, this week Joseph. Verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Talk about an awkward moment, right? He's, he's engaged. We, we talk about this process, how the, the, before the marriage, the, the engagement was like a year-long process. And so they're, they're, they're legally bound in this relationship. And Mary comes to him and says, hey, by the way, I'm pregnant. Don't worry, it's not yours. He's like, what? <laughs> right? I mean, what a, what a weird spot to be in. I mean, for, for Joseph, he, he loves Mary. They, they love each other. He's been looking forward uh, to, this, to this wedding. He's been looking forward to this marriage. So he says it was a righteous man. That, that how, how does it not feel like betrayal, though? Now, trust me, it's the Holy Spirit's baby. It's like, like if, if you were engaged and your, your fiancé came and said, hey, I'm pregnant, but it's the Holy Spirit, so don't worry about it. It's fine. Uh, right? They, they, had, they had everything picked out. They were ready to go for the wedding. How do you wrestle with that? How do you wrestle with the feelings of betrayal? The feelings of she's been unfaithful. The feelings of all of that, that this relationship that I looked forward to and love has now been tarnished. But the angel says, hey, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Here's another truth, is that the blessing is found in our obedience. The blessing for you and I is, is, is found through our obedience, through our doing the hard things. It says that he was a just man, so he didn't want to make a, a public example of her. Uh, considered it basically impossible for him to marry someone who appeared to be unfaithful to him. He had two choices in this, to, to end the relationship. He could shame her publicly, and, and bring it on trial, and she could faith, face the, the death penalty at the time because she had committed adultery, because it was a legal binding relationship. Or he could pay a fine and do it quietly and issue her a certificate of divorce. And because Joseph, in the midst of this, I mean, he was wrestling through doubt. He, he had his mind made up. This is what I'm going to do. Here's how I'm going to end it. I don't really believe her. So I'm, I'm going to end it. I'm just going to do it quietly and let her possibly have life 
after this. But in the middle of it, he's told to do something very hard. He had to choose to trust God in the midst of the pain, even when it seemed hopeless, even when it seemed like it was, it was, the relationship was destroyed. He chose to be obedient. Um, for you and I, it's probably not going to be a, 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 an angel in a dream. It could be. But a lot of times, uh, the obedience that we're told to do is we find it in God's word. Right? We, we're, 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 Maybe it's, it's, it's forgiving somebody. Maybe it's dealing with a, an ongoing, continual sin in our life. Uh, maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. But whatever that, that thing may be, we have to choose to walk with obedience. And what we see is sometimes it's like, that's the one thing that I don't want to do. Joseph, I'm sure, had hesitations about going through with the marriage. But at the end of the day, he says, I'm going, to, I'm going to trust what the Lord is wanting to do in me and through me and not what I feel, not the pain that I'm experiencing. And so, yes, God tells us to do uncomfortable things all the time. Like he, he, he stretches us. He, he, he grows us. To be honest with you, uh, a year ago when, when we left Renovation Simpsonville to come and be a part of this, um, of starting Renovation Greenville and being a part of what God is doing here, that was hard. It was really hard and for a lot of people. We, we left a, a community of believers that we've done life with for some of them for 20-something years. And I was like, oh, it's something new. It's, it's fresh. But for, for, for us, for a lot of people that, that came from Renovation Simpsonville, it was, it was a hard thing to walk through. But we knew that God was saying to do it. We knew that God was calling us to do this. God had orchestrated all of these parts together. And so there's... Like confidence and there's, there's courage in the fact that God was calling us to do it, but it didn't diminish the fact that it was hard. And looking at like this side of things almost a year later, about how God has woven together this family of people, like there's nowhere I'd rather be. Like how it is that God takes us through doing hard things to get us to where the blessing is. It's on the other side of our obedience Sometimes the obedience in itself is the blessing because we're in step with where God wants us to be. But usually it's, it's on the other side of, do, of forgiving the person that we don't want to forgive. Of, of walking away from a relationship that's toxic, that's continuing pulling us into sin. Making amends doing things the right way, honoring God. It's on the other side of that when we experience God's blessing by doing things God's ways. They were like, there's, there's nowhere that I'd rather be. Yes, it was hard to get to here. But now that I'm here, there's nowhere I'd rather be. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we have hope when it hurts? Three quick things. And I'm going to land the plane early today. I say that. In faith, all right? Um, one, God is not the source of our pain, but of our healing. God is not the source of our pain, but of our healing. I had a really embarrassing moment this week. I, uh, I went to, my wife is out of town, and my, my daughter had this, like, class project, and so I got to come in and be, like, a client, and it was, it was kind of cute. Uh, but I, I got there early, and my kids, we don't, um, those are parents that do car line, Carline is like a vortex of time. 
right? It can, it can take two minutes or it can take two hours. You just never know. But um, the overachiever parents that get to car line an hour or something early, I don't, God bless you. I love you. But I just, I tell my kids, I'm like, no, I'm not. I love you, but I'm not going to sit in line for an hour and a half just so you can get picked up five minutes earlier. Like it, the math doesn't add up with Carline, right? Um, and so anyways, I went to the class and I had like an hour before I was supposed to be there. And I was like, you know what? This is my one shot to be a good dad, you know? I was like, this is my one opportunity because I'm not gonna wait in this line ever again. And so even at an hour and a half before they got out, I was still the fourth car in line. People are crazy. Um, and so I was like, I brought all my stuff. I did work and I studied from the car and um, I had the car turned off, but I had the fan turned on because there was like, there's stink bugs started flying in my car. So I rolled the windows up, bell rings, kids start to go out and I start to crank the car. And I was like, oh, I just sat here for an hour with the fan running and my battery died. Oh, it's so embarrassing, right? And the bell rings and all these kids are coming out. The elementary school line is going, we're in the middle school line. There's two at our school. And, and it's just this walk of shame. And so I had to get out. I saw a teacher that I knew. I was asking her for, hey, does anyone have jumper cables? I'm like, yeah, why? I was like, oh, some, some idiot, uh, you know, his battery died. Uh, I was like, that's me. And so anyways, and then the whole time I'm like, before I even got out, I'm like, Lord, help this. Help. <laughs> this is embarrassing. I don't want to be that guy. Um, and then finally, in the midst of talking to her, couldn't find jumper cables. Somebody's in the other line like, hey, Matt. It's <laughs> like, oh, great. Somebody I know. I say, hey, do you happen to have jumper cables? He's like, no, but I do have this portable battery thing that you could use. I'm like, happened to be somebody from church, had it, hooked it up, started the car. Uh, I was spared the embarrassment while my kids stood there and was like, my dad doesn't know what he's doing. Um, I had planned to tell that story this morning, and then this morning I stopped at QT and my car battery died again. And so after church, we're going to get a new car battery. Um, but some, like God is not the source of the pain in our life. Sometimes we're dumb. Let's be honest. I, I'll be first to admit it, right? Sometimes other people are dumb. And like because of their stupidity, we experience pain. But look, we, we live in a broken world. And God is not the source of our pain. We often want to blame God when we walk through pain. But he's not the source of it. The broken, fallen world that we live in is the source of pain. God is the source of healing. And if we can rejoice when God is healing us, when God has brought healing, certainly we can anticipate it in the midst of pain. We can have hope that healing is coming, hope that redemption is com coming, hope that, that even though there was 400 years of silence, that hope was coming, that from the very beginning in Genesis, that the story of hope was woven through, that God has a plan to restore you and I, that he is the source of healing, not of the pain. And what do we do with it? What do we do with our pain? Well, we, we try to bury it. Try to self-medicate it, try to ignore it. We blame God, or we can choose to trust God to heal it. Like the, the fact that even in Isaiah, it's like for a child is born to us, right? A son is given. Like the gift was, was there in Isaiah 9. It's yes, a child's gonna be born, but a son is gonna be given. God is going to extend hope through the person and life 
of Jesus. I can't imagine walking through life without hope. Like when, when you see brokenness, when you experience pain, for those that have put their faith in Jesus, we, we have the promise of heaven, right? We have the promise of healing coming, but I, I can't imagine going through life without that hope. I can't imagine suffering or loss or betrayal or death. I, I can't imagine walking through those things without having hope that one day there's going to be redemption. I, I just can't imagine it. And if we put our faith in Jesus, we know that he will right every wrong, that he will wipe every tear, and that God will heal every pain. The second thing is that God is with us in our pain. God is with us in our pain. I know pain can get us to feel like God is distant, but he's not. Right? God doesn't sleep or slumber. God, God's never taking a break. Emmanuel, God, God with us. Not God distant somewhere else, not God off in the cosmos busy somewhere else. God with us. Like you can't get any more with us than sending your son Jesus to live in a fleshly body to walk on this earth to, to be with us. Like you, you can't get any closer than that, that he's with us. I mean, scripture tells us in Romans, what can separate us from the love of God, right? I'll give you the cliff notes. Nothing. There's a laundry list. Neither heights, nor depths, nor, nor, nor death, nor life, nor the angels, nor demons, not even the power of hell itself can separate us from the love of Christ that is found in Christ Jesus, right? The love of God found in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Pain makes that list. Doubt makes the list. Uncertainty makes the list. Fill in the blank. Everything can make the list. Nothing can separate us. So if nothing can separate us, then guess what? In the middle of pain, guess what? God is with us. Pain can't separate us from the love of God. He's right there in the midst of it with us. I love even in, in Psalm 58, I believe it. It says he, he collects our tears. It's kind of a weird thing to think about, right? In the olden days, they, they would have a practice where they would, to show their, their grief or to, to, to remember it, they would, they would collect their tears in these little bottles and kind of wear them around. We do weird things, but that's kind of weird, right? Um, but it's in, the, in that context, it's this idea that not a single, single tear falls from our face, not a single moment of grief falls. It's not seen by the Father. It's not. He's with us in the, in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our suffering. But pain makes us think that he's not. I'll be totally transparent with you. This week for me was hard. This, this whole week of, of talking about everlasting father and dealing with pain. Last year, it was right around this time that my dad's cancer began to spread. And this, this whole week has been like one of these moments I'm like, I don't want to talk about pain. I know that's like what I've planned to talk about. And I know everlasting father, but I don't want to do it, God. I just don't. It's just like, let's, let's be totally surface level and let's not be real and let's not get below the surface. 
but God is with us in the midst of pain. God is with us when we go there. Like when we, when we you know, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to touch that wound. I don't want to, that's still healing. Like I don't want to go there. But when we do, guess what? God meets us there. His grace is sufficient. We can't heal things by just ignoring them. I know that's like the typical dude thing to do, right? It's "Ah, it's probably broken. I'll shake it off, you know? Why is it like the dad response when their kids get hurt? His mom's like, let me hold you. Let me kiss you. Let me, you know, comb your hair. And dad's like, oh man, let me get a knife. I got to cut it off, right? Is that not just a typical dad thing? Kids, they, everything, like dad. That's how we we do it, right? We just, we want to ignore it or make a joke out of it. Because we're afraid that in our vulnerability that the hurt will be worse. The presence of pain does not mean the absence of God. The presence of pain is confirmation that we have a healer, that we have an everlasting father, a mighty God who is with us in the midst of it. So we can ignore the pain. We, we can just pretend like it doesn't exist or we can have the courage and the boldness to, to go there and to trust that God is healing. And then lastly, as we end today, the most significant one is that Jesus experienced the greatest pain of all so that we wouldn't have to. I've experienced pain, you've experienced pain. And I know for some in this room, you've experienced pain that none of us would would wish on other people. Such levels of, of loss and of brokenness and betrayal and hurt that's honestly have run for decades. But even even in, in light of all those, not not to diminish that or to just gloss over it. But if you think about the life of Jesus, and you think about the betrayal and the hurt, and you think about the suffering of the crucifixion, about what he he went through, about how even hanging on the cross that he hardly looked human, and he did that for you and I. But I think even, even Apart from from that, even in light of that, I think one of the most painful moments was when the everlasting, when Jesus, who was there at the beginning, who created all things, who who's holy, who's worshipped in heaven, who's who's seated, who's who's perfect. when God the Father had to send him out of perfection to earth. When he had to leave all of that and then that moment when the sins of humanity fell upon him on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When for that moment, Jesus had to experience separation from the Father. 
That's the moment that caused Jesus to cry out in anguish. Not at the flogging, not at the crucifixion, the nailing. But it was the moment when he felt the weight of hopelessness, the weight of eternal separation from the perfect presence of the Father. And the truth is, is that the message of Christmas is, is the fact, not a, not a story, it's a, it's a fact of a moment in history when God stepped out of eternity, when he stepped out of heaven and came to earth for you and I to experience the full gamut of human emotion and pain and betrayal, but with purpose in his eyes. So that anyone who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Christ is Lord shall not have to experience eternal death, but have eternal life. He took that upon himself so that you and I didn't have to. The greatest pain is not what we experience in this life. The greatest pain that could be imagined is separation from the Father. But praise God that he's made a way. Praise God that he's made a way for us to be restored to the Father. And even, I love this, in Isaiah 7, or I'm sorry, Isaiah 9, right before this passage we keep reading, it says, Nevertheless, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. And the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. Jesus came to break the curse. To break the oppression of the fear of death and destruction because he's victorious. You know, I was thinking about this in worship. Is that if you've ever like, put together a piece of furniture, it's like, you know, the flat pack, there's like 18,000 steps. You put that first book on it, you're like, ooh, I don't know if it's gonna hold. You're afraid of how much weight you can, you can actually put on the piece of furniture without it crumbling over. Jesus is the only one worthy enough to hold the weight of our worship. Nothing else can. Him alone, the lamb who conquered death, the lamb who, who made it and experienced the most painful moment in history so that you and I, when we put our faith in him, do not have to 
worry and have hopelessness, but we have hope that God heals all things, restores all things, and came to set the captives free. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to worship. King Jesus, you are high and lifted up. You are the only one worthy. And God, no matter how deep and tumultuous the pain we experience in this life may be, the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus says no matter what we experience, there is hope. There is hope that a coming king came, born as a baby and lived a perfect life so that the curse may be broken. God, I pray that in in our pain that we would be able to see that you are working, that you are moving, that you are restoring. God, give us courage to trust you when it doesn't make sense. Trust you to heal. Trust you to mend. Trust you to restore. That we would believe wholeheartedly that in the midst of our pain, you are not distant. But God, you are our ever-present help in time of need. So we honor you. We thank you, King Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building His kingdom at therenovation.church.